All right. We're going to uh, help shepherd the young people to their experience. So if they head to my left towards the exit sign, uh, Miss Whitney will shepherd them uh, to an experience tailored to uh, kindergarten through fifth graders. Of course, we have nursery care available as well. Of course, all young people are welcome to stay, uh, especially during these sermons, uh, especially today. This is a kind of a basic about who God is and <clears throat> what we believe about God. So as the young people head to their experience, uh, we're going to switch gears back to what we started with in terms of our transition prayer, and that is the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus himself taught us uh, through his disciples. It's a prayer that has been prayed since that time, uh, and it is a prayer that both uh, encourages us, lifts us up, and helps us understand how to pray. So this is a prayer that we continue to teach uh, as Jesus taught us. So let us pray that together. <laughs> I hope we have that. Um, if not, no, it is good to have it. Uh, let it. This is from the Common English Bible, so uh, please follow along with that because it is a little different, uh, but this is straight from Matthew 6. So let us pray this prayer together as it's written in the CEB. Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name, Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from evil one. Amen. All right. Today we start our series called Crazy Love. I have some books actually available um, today. I was able to get them a little bit cheaper for about $10. If you buy them at the store, it's about uh, $15. But you can get them on Amazon and Kindle, and you can buy it through Barnes & Noble and Parable Bookstore as well, but they'll be about $15. So if you have $10 with you tonight, I would be happy to give you one of those books for a little bit cheaper. Stop praying. What if I told you to stop praying? Don't pray. Don't spend any time this week in conversation with God. Don't spend any time this week in devotion. Don't spend any time on your knees before you go to bed lifting up the names of those people you love. Why would I do that? Because sometimes we need to stop and take a look at who or whom we are praying to and whom we are having a conversation with. We live in a very strange world, a world that in the last 10, 20, 30 years has become obsessed with communication. Some of you will not be able to go through this sermon without texting. Some of you are texting right now. Tweeting updating your Facebook status, and I encourage that. That's okay, especially if you're updating it about how good the sermon is. Feel free. Put that on your Facebook page. Comment on our Facebook page. But we need our communication now. If, if you go on the Facebook status page, you have people who just update you on everything. If you look at Twitter, you have people that tweet every single thing that happens in their life. We have applications on our phones and on our computers that tell people where you are at any given moment. As soon as you leave the house, it pings to 
uh, that site so that other friends and family members can know where you are. There's apps so that you can share with your friends what you had for dinner and where you had it at. We want to be connected and we want to have this instant gratification in our communication. We want information. And sometimes we treat our relationship with God the same way. We just shoot out all of that information. We just lift up all kinds of names. We just nonstop are just talking, 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 talking to God. But we never stop and actually listen. And so before we get too deep into crazy love, we're going to stop and take a look, not at just listening what God is saying to us today, but literally, literally take a look and see just who are we talking to? Who is this God? And why does he love us so much? So we're going to watch a little video right now, uh, which is uh, from the author of this book, Francis Chan, that the series is based on. And he's going to show us a little bit of who this God we worship is. So let's watch this video together. First of all, this is the earth. You're taking off from the earth from Southern California, and we're going we're gonna to rise up for a little bit here. Okay, we're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now, this is at about 10 kilometers. Like, if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now, you're gonna, we're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the Earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the Earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay, there's the moon. You can barely see the Earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the, past the moon. And uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. A hundred million kilometers, you're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away. But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. Okay. You just passed the sun. Now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros. And the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away, come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away. Now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light years away. At 1,000 light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy, and forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in, um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further, and you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy, and, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see. 
amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. pretty cool at least i think so it's worth a trip to the planetarium every once in a while why do you think god would create a universe with at least 300 we he talked about the milky way galaxy there milky way galaxy has you know thousands and thousands of stars in it thousands of uh, uh solar systems in that in that cluster we know that there are at least 350 billion galaxies in the universe that's what we, we can at least assume there are. There might be a lot more than that. Why would God create 350 billion galaxies that until recently people didn't know exist? Think of for uh, thousands of years, however long you believe humanity's been around, you know, at, at least six or 7,000, maybe 20, 30,000 years. For all of that time, people only could see a handful of stars. They could maybe count a few hundred, but God had a creation that is much grander than that. Maybe God created creation that way to show us how truly awesome God is, how truly big God is. But God is not a God that just created big galaxies. There are three million species of animals on planet Earth at last count. That's changing every day. At least uh, three or two and a half million of those are cockroaches. But in one square mile of the Amazon rainforest, beautiful, beautiful rainforest, there are 3,000 varieties of trees within one square mile. That's about what this building is sitting on. 3,000 varieties of plant life. We don't know for sure, but in our bodies, there are most likely 50 trillion individual cells that make up who you and I are. So God is a God that creates billions of galaxies, trillions of stars, but also micromanaged 50 trillion cells, 3,000 varieties of trees, 30 million species of animals, and I could list off a lot of other oppressive numbers that I got from the Internet. You can look at those too. This is how the Bible says it, and when I go out at night and on a clear night, I can see the stars in the sky, or when I spend time out, uh, I don't do that in the winter, but maybe I should, but when I go to Rock Cut and I just spend a day there, I just have to worship God. I'm just awestruck by just this natural beauty and wonder, and I'm not really a nature person, and I'm not really a a green person uh, in terms of that. But when I am surrounded by God's creation, I just can't help but worship him and believe that this God is a God so much bigger than me. This is how the writer of the 19th Psalm sung this uh, idea that I had in my head. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. 
There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and all their words to the end of the world. What the psalmist is saying is the heavens and the earth show us God's glory because they show us that the world is bigger than you and me. The world is a grandual, wonderful, great place. Yet, even with all of those things, even with all of the stars in the sky and all of the wonderful things our world has to offer, we live in a state of spiritual amnesia. We forget, and we even take for granted today, how wonderful God is, how awesome our world is. A comedian that I like tells a story like this. He says, I was on a flight not too long ago, and it was one of the first flights that they tested Wi-Fi on the airplane. We all know what Wi-Fi is, being able to connect to the Internet with our wireless devices, laptops, cell phones, other things, iPods. He said it was going great. We got on the flight. It took off. Speaking of cell phones, it's okay. The flight took off and they announced, we have this new technology available. Today, you're going to be able to connect to the internet using Wi-Fi technology. Well, they were in flight. The Wi-Fi was working. All of a sudden, the Wi-Fi stopped. The head of the airplane came on and said, we're sorry for this inconvenience, but the Wi-Fi is no longer working and will not be working for the rest of the flight. The man sitting next to me slammed down his laptop and said, can you believe this garbage? He was upset that a technology that he didn't know existed before he got on the plane wasn't working. He took a lot for granted. I have been on a plane a few times in my life, and I am constantly amazed. We went to a presentation at Grace Church down the road in Perryville a few weeks ago and learned about the new Dreamliner, the Boeing 787. And I'm just constantly amazed at the cool, awesome things we are able to do because God gave us reason and brains and hearts for creation. But we constantly take those things for granted. But even though we live in this world of spiritual amnesia, we have to kind of reclaim who it is we believe in, what it is that makes God so good, makes God so magnificent. And so I want to talk a little bit about who is God. We don't know everything about God. And as I'll later talk, we only know him truly through his son, Jesus Christ. And you could argue that we only know Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's a very heavy Trinitarian argument that we can talk about in private, I guess. But we do know some things about God because the Bible is good enough to share that word with us. First, God is holy. We prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. Holy means literally being set apart, and it's used in the Bible to talk about the people of Israel, to talk about followers of Jesus Christ, but mostly to talk about God. In fact, the people of Israel, even though they consider themselves a holy people, they consider God holy, holy, holy. Because if you were three times something, that means you were perfect in that. So they believe that God was perfectly holy, set apart, distinct from us. Now, they didn't necessarily have an understanding of 
uh, 350 billion galaxies. But they believed that God was even set apart from all of that. That God created the heavens and the earth. That God wasn't part of the creation, that God stood aside from the creation. That means we can't really understand completely who God is. Because we have nothing to compare to God. There's nothing we can put to say, this book is like that book. This piece of paper is like that paper. That chair is like this chair. God is God, and that's what being holy means. It means being set apart. It means being a little mysterious. And that's the God we worship, a holy and wonderful God. Secondly, God is eternal. A friend of mine who is a great theologian said, or says to this day, I guess, I read these words, in the beginning God, and I get stuck. Those of you who are familiar with the Bible know that's the very first passage. See, about half the verse of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The rest of it is, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But he says, I stop at, in the beginning, God. Because that is a statement, that is a spoken word from the word of God from Scripture that is worth spending a lifetime on. Because what's that saying is something very interesting, something very powerful. You and me, each of us, had a beginning. We started at some point. We may argue when that moment was, but at some point, our lives began. At some point, our lives will end. At some point, all life began. But God has no beginning. Now, we just kind of gloss over it, but I want you to just spend a minute thinking about that. God has no beginning. What came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first, or who created God is a classic Sunday school student question. No one created God. God was there at the beginning. But God didn't have a beginning. We worship an eternal God. And that means worshiping a God who has and will always be. Third, God is all-knowing. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're, been, you're awake. He, oh, wait, no, that's somebody else. <clears throat> that would be Santa Claus. Now, of course, God knows those things. But more importantly, God knows me. God knows you. I remember thinking when I was 16, maybe, that I knew a lot. <laughs> some, some of you are shaking your heads. You remember thinking that you knew a lot too. Maybe, maybe for me, it may have been seven or eight when I thought I knew a lot. And then again when I was 20, and then again when I was older, and still even today. But the older I get, the more I realize, the less I know. In fact, our minds don't actually develop the uh, ability to think critically until we're about 25. And even then, the smartest human beings alive, the Stephen Hawkins and the Bill Gates and the Nobel Peace Prize winners and the Mensa Society, the smartest human beings alive only use 10 to 15% of their brain capacity. And we think they know a lot. Well, what if a human used 100% of their brain capacity, they knew everything that Wikipedia could say? That would be a lot. The internet knows all those things. 
But God knows infinitely more than that. God knows so much more than that. We can't even fathom everything that God knows. So to say that he knows me is to not just say that, but to say that he knows everyone who has ever been, will ever be, and everything. He knows all the hairs on my head. He knows all 30 million species of animals and all 350 billion galaxies. He knows a little bit more than Santa Claus. Fourth, God is all-powerful. Paul tells us in his letter to the church of Colossae, or, or the book of Colossians, he says, God was, um, or excuse me, he says, all things were created by and for God. Now, we accept that all things were created by God, but sometimes we forget that all things were created for God. We were created for God, yet we act sometimes like God works for us. We come to God and we ask God, bless me, heal me. You can read stories in the Gospels about people coming to Christ, heal me, cure me, share with me the key to eternal life. Share to me the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We ask questions like, if God is all-powerful, why do children die of hunger every day? Hundreds of children die of hunger in the United States, not just across the world. And I wonder sometimes, although this is something we can talk about later and we will talk about throughout the course of this book, I wonder sometimes if we ever stop and think, maybe God is asking us a different question. Maybe God says, I created a world that can feed hundreds and trillions of more people than are on it. Why are you letting my children starve? We think that God owes us, but that's not the God we worship. Finally, God is fair yet just, and it connects to being all-powerful. We worship a God who balances mercy and justice perfectly. If you look at our legal system, and I have friends who are lawyers and judges and everywhere in between, it is imperfect. Guilty people, bad guys, go free. They walk the streets. Innocent people have actually been put to death. Now, not a lot, but some, and some is too many. We worship a God who doesn't make mistakes. We worship a God who doesn't let bad guys go free. We worship a God who doesn't let innocent people suffer. God is perfectly fair, but God cannot abide sin and evil. He just can't. You may not like that. You may not like the justice side of God. But as Francis Chan writes in his book, when you create your own universe, you can create the rules. So you get working on that, I guess. You see, God is the ultimate good and really the only good. And so all of the standards are set by God. We worship a God who can set those standards. Now then, we know a little bit about who God is, although all of those things are a little bit over our heads, or at least over my head. How can we begin to believe that this master of the universe, this 
holy, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, fair and just God cares about us. Because as you saw in the video, you can't even see our sun at a trillion light years or however that was. You can't even see our galaxy. And if you can't see our galaxy, you certainly can't see our earth. And if you can't see our earth, you can't see our country. And if you can't see our country, you can't see our state and our town and our county and our city and this building and these people under this roof. And so we need to talk a little bit about why this God who is so great, this God who is so big, loves and cares about all of us. Well, the Bible tells us that for generations, people have feared God. And we're going to talk a little bit about this fear of God first before we talk about um, understanding God a little differently. You see, there always have been people who have feared all kinds of things. And it started when we were early in our lives, early in, in existence, I mean. At some point, there was a bolt of lightning that hit a tree and that created fire and the early men and women were afraid of that fire, and so they worshiped that fire as a god. Well, that happened over centuries and over millenniums, however long you believe the history of the world is. And we know by the time that Jesus was alive, there were whole cultures that worshipped, uh, like Greece and Rome, that worshipped these pagan gods that were very cruel. Zeus and Hera and Ares and all of those gods that uh, you may have heard stories, stories of Hercules, they were cruel and evil gods. Gods that hurt humans. Gods that made humans suffer. And so the people who worshipped them were afraid. And that is the kind of atmosphere that uh, the humanity and the people of uh, Judaism and the people of Christianity have grown up under. They've grown under, uh, up under an umbrella of fear. Now, fear is an important thing. The Bible says that we should fear God because when we fear something, we tend to respect it. And that's okay. We want to respect God. We want to have a healthy fear of God. But we go too far sometimes. And it's hard when we go too far to understand that God loves us if we're completely afraid of him. We treat God maybe a little bit more like Santa Claus than we do like God. We think that God is out there and if we're good, that's great. But if we're bad, God's watching and God's ready to punish us. And so we do things, we feel guilty when we do something wrong, and that guilt leads us to worship and give and pray. And unfortunately, the church for centuries has used that understanding of God to get people to become followers of Jesus Christ. Not the best system, but it was a system that worked for some time. And a system that some churches still use quite often. But we believe that fear of God does not need to be walking around on eggshells. Now, I, I compare it to human relationships. Uh, I was lucky in my upbringing, but my father was not. My grandfather was an abusive alcoholic and just an awful man most of the time. And he would beat and abuse my grandmother and my parent uh, and my father, excuse me, and my aunts. And so my father was deathly afraid of him, as he should have been. And he tried very hard to do everything he could to make my grandfather happy, to not upset him. He went out of his way, but sometimes that wasn't enough. And those of you who maybe grew up in similar homes know that, that even when you were trying to be good, even when you did behave, you were a kid and 
you made mistakes or you broke something or you said something you shouldn't or maybe you did everything right, but that still didn't matter. And that wrathful father came down on him regardless. And if that's the kind of upbringing you had, now I don't want us to go blame everything on our families, but if that's the kind of upbringing you had, that affects how you view God as father. And often that's the kind of fear that we have when it comes around God. We have this fear that God is going to get us if we're bad. And there is some ways to back that up. But if we believe that's the only image of God that we should have, then we're going to be walking on eggshells our entire lives. And we're not truly going to believe that God loves us. We're not truly going to believe that God has a crazy and awesome love for us. So we do need to fear God. We need to have a healthy respect of God's majesty, of God's power, of God's knowledge. But we also need to understand that God loves us. God loves us as a father. Now, I'm not a father myself, but I pray that I will be at least part of the kind of father that God is. And if you have children, I hope you understand or you just love them desperately. I was lucky to grow up with two parents who loved me, a brother who loved me, uh, a wonderful family life. Maybe some of you had that life too. Maybe you didn't. But if you do have children, I hope you just love them desperately, that you do everything you can to protect them, to go out of your way. Yes, you maybe get frustrated. You maybe make mistakes. You even wish you weren't a parent sometimes. But I hope you still love your children and want what's best for them. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, not too long after, the, uh, after he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you who are flawed love your children, how much more does God who is perfect love you? Now that's hard if you believe your parents don't love you. And I hope that's not the case, but it may be the case in some stories. And that's going to take a lot hard, longer for you to work through some of those things to understand that God is a father who does love you, who does care for you. And I hope if you're a parent who doesn't love your children that you will come talk to me because that certainly shouldn't be. I want to tell you a story that made me, made me think a little bit about who God is and who God is in my life and how God loves me and in turn how I love him. I was laying in bed. Oh, is that a picture of my cat? <laughs> Yeah, they, she's a little rat-looking thing um, in that picture. Um, that's, my, that's my girl cat, Maddie. Jennifer and I have two cats. Uh, she was, that's in December, she was uh, three months old maybe at that picture. Uh, both my cats are rescue cats. We have had them since they were just a couple weeks old. Um, got them kind of from the clutches of death out in the wild, uh, farm cats. So uh, very important to us, those little cats. And I was laying in bed one night a couple weeks ago, uh, just talking to God, praying. Um, when I pray to God my, in my, my own way, uh, I, I just open communication. That's how I pray to God. Uh, that may not work for you, but you know, I encourage you to at least try it a couple times. So I was talking to God and carrying on a conversation and just bringing forth all kinds of things and not shutting up probably enough to listen, like sometimes we need to do, and wasn't able to go to sleep because I was just mulling over all kinds of different things like sometimes I do in, in bed. And all of a sudden, my little girl cat, although she's much larger than that now, 
she came up and she crawled on top of my chest, which was a odd thing. She never does that while I was sleeping. And she laid down, she curled up, and she went to sleep. And I stopped talking to God for a minute. And it clicked, something clicked in me, and I thought, here's a little creature that I took in a couple years ago who completely depends on me. She depends on me for food, for water, for shelter, for warmth, for love, for attention, for affection. She is completely 100% dependent on me and my wife for her survival. And I thought to myself, if I have this relationship with this little creature that I didn't birth, she's not mine, (laughs) because she's a cat, she's not even human, but she is dependent on me, and because of that, I love her in a very special way. She's very important to me, as both my cats are, and more so my wife. But if I can love that little cat with as much love as I do, how much more does God who created me, who knows the hairs on my head, who knows my name from your name, who knows me in the midst of 350 billion galaxies, how much more does God love me? And therefore, how much more dependent am I on God? That night I needed to rest in God like that little cat was resting on me. She needed comfort for something, I don't know what. Maybe she was just comforting me. (laughs) I needed to be able to sit back and say, God, I'm dependent on you. I need to rest in you because you're my father and you love me. This magnificently big God cares about me. And it takes me time and time again to realize that. But he cares about you too. This Lenten season is a time to remember how much God loves us. Because as we journey for the next 40 days, minus Sundays, as my brother-in-law reminded me earlier, as we journey to Passion, Palm Sunday, as we journey to Easter, we are going to learn once again just how far God went to save each and every one of us. He became human. He lived a life. He traveled to a cross and he died for our sins, for, our, for each of us. And so that's what crazy love is going to be all about. I have, after I wrote my sermon, I had another um, cat illustration. I figured, well, once we're doing one, we might as well do two. And that's how I want to end today because I believe that the illustration that I'm about to share with you kind of sums up what crazy love is all about. I have two cats. I have an older male cat. He's three and some months. And I have a younger girl cat, and she's two and some months. And both of them act differently around me. They are both my cats. I was desperately hoping when we rescued Maddie that she would be Jennifer's cat, but it hasn't quite worked out that way. Uh, they, they both uh, come to me in generally. When I get home, my male cat, he's very independent, very skittish, kind of strange. He sits on the arm of my sofa. 
or um, my chair. Doesn't matter, I get home, doesn't matter if I have to go upstairs, I got to do some work, I go to the kitchen, whatever I do, he sits on the arm of that chair and he waits for me. Kind of like a little dog, I guess. He doesn't come to the door though. He sits on that chair and he waits for me because he knows at some point I'm going to sit my butt in that chair. And as soon as I do, this has just been conditioned over time, as soon as I do, he gets in my lap and he wants to be petted. Wants to be petted for a few minutes, then he goes about his way. That's how Max and my relationship is. Maddie, on the other hand, if I am home, and this week I was sick at least one day and home, home for a couple days, Maddie will go out of her way to sit with me. She doesn't like to be petted very much, but she will go out of her way to sit with me. I'll be home working on my computer, sitting in my chair. She will burrow under the computer. She will dig under the computer. She will sit on top of the computer. She will do whatever she can to be with me. Now, I thought she was just being vindictive at some point, but I've come to realize she desperately wants to be in my presence. Now, if I keep throwing her off or I keep putting her down, she'll actually come and she'll just sit at my feet. And she'll just sit there and wait till the computer leaves and then she'll jump up and she'll come sit on my lap. And I realize the difference between these two cats really sums up the difference or the dichotomy we live in with our relationship with God. Most of us act like Max. We go to the place and the places where we expect to see God, and we wait for God there. We go to church, and we worship, because we expect that God will be there, and lo and behold, God eventually comes, and we are able to worship him. We pray because we expect God to be there. We uh, experience communion because we expect God to be there. We go on mission trips because we expect God to be there. We help others because we expect God to be there. We go and we experience God in certain places and times. I pray every day, have a, about an hour or so of devotional in the morning. I go to a place and experience an experience, and I expect God to be there. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I love Max. I love that he does that. And I think if we do that, God loves that we do that. God wants us to come and experience these places. God wants us to know that there are places that he will always be. There are chairs that he will always sit in. This is his house. But crazy love is going to push us. And it's going to challenge us to start being Maddie's, to start digging our way, to start overcoming obstacles, to push, to pull, to cry, to do whatever we can to get in God's presence, to sit at God's feet, to not let anything stop us. And I'm not sure what that looks like right now, <laughs> but I think we're going to learn what it looks like together. And I think we're going to see over the course of the next six weeks what it means to be crazy in love with a God who loves you with crazy love. Yes, I think that was correct. So I encourage you, think about those two examples. Do you sit and wait for God? Or are you actively and desperately seeking to be in his presence? That's what crazy love is going to be all about. Amen. I'm going to ask that the band comes forward and we transition to our next uh, part.
heart of worship. I do have some books available today. I was able to get a few at a discounted rate, but I bought them, so you have to come to me and pay me, um, uh, or else you won't get one. Uh, they're $10. I have them at $10. They're normally on sale for uh, 15 So if you want one for 10 uh, you can write me a check or give me cash, and I will be happy to give you one today. Uh, as always, we uh, thank each and every one of you uh, who's here, uh, and we are just uh, encouraging you. If you are a guest or if you've been here a few times and we don't have your information, uh, please fill out one of these communication cards. We're going to be doing some things here in the next couple weeks to help keep better track of uh, your attendance because we are a new church and we are working, uh, even though we're only 22 weeks, 23 weeks old now, uh, we are working on ways to charter, and that means being our own congregation. Uh, and so to do that, we're going to need charter members, uh, and that's something that you can be part of by coming to one of the new, uh, new Life 101 classes, can learn about what that means. Um, but I do encourage you, if you haven't filled out one of these cards, fill it out, put it in the offering baskets, give it to me, give it to the information desk. Um, if you haven't ever gotten a handwritten thank you from me, you haven't filled one of these out or I don't have it. Uh, so uh, that's a good indication of whether you should fill one out or not. Let us now uh, gather for our offering. I'll say a prayer and then we uh, will offer ourselves and our gifts to God. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful day. We didn't expect another storm, another winter, but we are glad that this snow has come. We ask that you just protect us now as we're out in it, that you help it bless our fields and our crops as they come to uh, fruition this summer. We ask that you be with each of us as you have given us each a harvest and blessings more than we can amount, more than we can count. We ask that you help us offer ourselves, help give back to you the first fruits of our labor, the first fruits of our very being. We pray these things in your holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son.